0: Hi, and welcome to Sleep Tight, Relax. A short message for grown-ups. and long, dialogue-free sleep sounds. That's four sleep stories a week, plus our popular music and soundscape episodes. Please visit SleepTypePremium.com to subscribe or follow the link in our show notes. Thank you. Hi there, this is Cheryl, and welcome to this episode of Sleep, Tight, Relax. Sounds, music, and stories for calming busy minds. In this episode, I am going to share the second part of the Campfire Girls of Roselawn, In this part, we catch up with Jesse and Amy at the ice cream shop, where they are talking about the wireless radio that Jesse wants to make. They get what they need in town and head back home with an evening out planned. The next few days, they work on getting the aerials up for the radio until some company arrives. Before we begin with tonight's episode, let's first make sure you are cozy and comfortable. You have found your comfortable place, your place to relax, or your favorite position in bed. You might position your pillows, a teddy, or your other little comforts to make sure that everything feels as it should. Close your eyes if you can and take a deep, slow belly breath. Breathe in through your nose and out through your mouth. And again, in through your nose, out through your mouth Have you noticed when you take in a big slow breath that you actually feel calmer more relaxed and less anxious We find that taking lots of slow deep belly breaths makes us feel so much better, no matter the time of day, but particularly before bed, when we want to relax and forget about all that might have happened during the day. Begin to bring more attention to your breath. Maybe place one hand on your chest and the other on your belly, or a pillow, or a stuffed friend. Feel your belly rise and fall with each breath. Breathe in, and breathe out. For the next few breaths, try to breathe as if completely filling your belly, feeling it rise and fall. Take a few more deep breaths and exhale removing your hands from your chest and belly and placing them at your sides. Now, just breathe naturally, not doing anything special, just breathe as you normally would. The Campfire Girls of Rose Lawn, part two. Over the George Washington Sundays at the new Melford Dainties shop, the girls discussed a mysterious happening on Dogtown Lane until it was, as Amy said, positively frayed. We do not know what it was all about, my dear, so why worry our minds? We shall probably never see that girl again, or those two women. Only that lean one? Well, I know I have seen her somewhere, or somebody who looks like her. I don't see but you are just as bad as I am, Jesse Norwood said. But we did not come to town because of that puzzling thing. No, we came to get these perfectly gorgeous Sundays declared Amy Drew. Your mother, Jess, is almost as nice as you are. We came in to get radio books, and buy wire, and stops, and all that for the aerials, anyway. Of course, I shall have to send for most of the parts of the house set. There is no regular radio equipment dealer in New Melford. Oh yes, wireless, murmured Amy. I had almost forgotten that. They trotted across the street to the bookstore. Motors were coming up from the station now and from New York. They waved their hands to several motoring acquaintances. And just outside Ye Craftsman's Bookshop, they ran into Nell Stanley, who they knew had no business at all, there on Main Street at this hour of the afternoon. Nell was the minister's daughter, and there were a number of little motherless Stanleys at the parsonage. Amy said, a whole raft of them, who usually needed their older sister's attention, approaching supper time. Oh, I've a holiday, laughed Nell, who was big and strong and really handsome, Jessie thought. Her coloring was so fresh, her chestnut hair so abundant, her gray eyes so brilliantly intelligent, and her teeth so dazzling. Aunt Frida is at the house, and she and the Reverend told me to go out and not to show myself back home for hours. Good for you, declared Amy. You'll come home to dinner with me, and we will spend the evening with Jess, helping her build a radio thing so we can do without buying the new Milford Tribune to get the local news. Oh, Jess are you going to have a radio? Cried Nell, it's just wonderful. Reverend says he may have to broadcast his sermons pretty soon or else be without an audience. The pet name by which she usually spoke of her father, the Reverend Dr. Stanley, sounded all right when Nell said it nobody else ever called the good clergyman by it but, Nell added you are too late inviting me to eat, Amy, honey it can't be done, I'm promised Mr. Brandon and his wife saw me first, and I am to dine with them then they are going to take me in their car out to the Parkville home of their daughter oh, say, if your radio isn't finished, Jess why can't you and Amy come with us The Brandon car is big enough. And they tell me Mrs. Brandon's daughter has got a perfectly wonderful set at her home. They have an amplifier, and you don't have to use phones at all. Has your radio set got an amplifier, Jess? But I haven't got it yet, cried Jess. I only hope to have it. Then you and Amy come and hear a real one, said Nell. If the Brandons won't mind, will they? You know they are the loveliest people, said Nell briskly. Mrs. Brandon told me to invite some young friends, but I hadn't thought of doing so. But I must have you and Amy. We'll be along for you girls about 7.45. Then we must hurry, declared Jess, as the minister's daughter ran away. I'm getting interested, announced Amy. Amy. Is this radio business like a talking machine? Only better, said her chum. Come on, I know several of the little books I want to get. I wrote down the names. They dived down the four steps into the basement bookshop. It was a fine place to browse when one had an hour to spare, But the chums from Roselawn were not in a browsing mood on this occasion. They knew exactly what they wanted. At least Jessie Norwood did. And somewhat to their surprise, right near the front door of the shop was a radio table. Ah, yes, young ladies, said the clerk who came to wait upon them only when he saw that they had made their selections. We have quite a call for books on that topic. It is becoming a fad and quite wonderful, too. I have thought some of buying a radio set myself. We're going to build one, declared Amy with her usual prompt assurance. Are you? You two girls? Well, I don't know why you shouldn't. Lots of boys are doing it. And anything a boy can do, a girl ought to do a little better, Amy added. The clerk laughed as he wrapped up the several books Jessie had charged to her father's account. You let me know how you get on building it, will you? He said. Maybe I can get some ideas from your experience. We'll show em, declared Amy, all in a glow of excitement. And why do you suppose, Jess, Folks always have to suggest that girls can't do what boys can. Isn't that ridiculous? Very, agreed Jessie. Although, just as I pointed out a while ago, it would have been handy if Derry or Bird had been with us when we saw that poor girl. Of course, but then those boys are college men, she giggled. And I wager... Bird is a seasick college man right now. Oh, have they gone out in the marigold? Cried Jesse. They left New Haven the minute they could get away and joined the yacht at Groton, over across from New London, where it has been tied up all winter. Father insisted that Derry shouldn't touch the yacht that Uncle Will left to him last fall until the college year ended. We got a marconogram last night that they had passed Block Island going out. And now, well, Bird never was at sea before, you know. And Amy laughed again. It has been rather windy. I suppose it must be rough out in the ocean. Oh, Amy, Jess suddenly exclaimed, if I get my radio rigged, why can't we communicate with the Marigold when it is at sea? I don't know just why you can't, but I guess the wireless rigging on the yacht isn't like this radio thing you are going to set up. They use some sort of telegraph alphabet. I know, declared Jessie with conviction. I'll tell Derry to put in a regular sending one, like the one I hope to have, if Father will let me. And we can have our two sets tuned so that we can hear each other speak. "'My goodness, you don't mean it is as easy as all that,' cried Amy. "'Didn't you read that magazine article?' demanded her chum. "'And didn't that man say that pretty soon "'we could carry receiving and sending sets in our pockets, maybe, "'and stop right on the street and send or receive any news we wanted to?' "'No, I shan't,' declared Amy.' Pockets spoil the set of even a sports skirt. Where are you going now? In here. Mr. Brill sells electrical supplies as well as hardware. Oh, Amy Drew. There is a radio set in his window. I declare, new Melfort is advancing in strides. Sure is, murmured Amy, following her friend into the store. Jessie had noted down the things she thought it would be safe to order before speaking to her father about the radio matter. Mrs. Norwood had cheerfully given her consent. Amy had once said that if Jessie went to her mother and asked if she could have a pet dinosaur, Mrs. Norwood would say, "'Of course you may, dear, "'but don't bring it into the house when its feet are wet.'" For the antenna and lead-in and ground wires, Jessie purchased 300 feet of copper wire number 14. The lightning switch Mr. Brill had among his electric fixtures, merely a porcelain base, 30 ampere, single pole double throw battery switch. She also obtained the necessary porcelain insulators and tubes. She knew there would be plenty of rope in the Norwood barn or in the garage for their need in erecting the aerials, but she bought a small pulley, as well as the ground connections which Mr. Brill had in stock. He was anxious to sell her a complete set like that he was exhibiting in the show window, but Jessie would not go any further than to order the things mentioned and ask to have them sent over the next morning. The girls hurried home when they had done this for it was verging on dinner time and they did not want to miss going with Nell Stanley and the Brandons to Parkville for the radio entertainment. Mr. Norwood was at home and Jessie flew at him a good deal like an eager Newfoundland puppy. It is the most wonderful thing she declared as she had introduced the subject to her chum. She kept up the radio talk all through dinner. She was so interested that for the time being, she forgot about the girl that had been in the automobile. Mr. Norwood had not been much interested in the new science, but he promised to talk of the matter over with Mumsy after the daughter had gone to the radio concert. Anyhow, said Jessie, I've bought the books telling how to rig it, and we're going to do it all ourselves, Amy and I, and Mr. Brill is going to send up some wire and things. Of course, if you won't let me have it, I'll just have to pay for the hardware out of my allowance. Very well, her father said with gravity. Maybe Chapman can find some use for the hardware if we don't decide to build a radio station. as they seldom forbade their daughter anything that was not positively harmful. However, there was not much danger that Jesse's allowance would be depleted by paying a share of the monthly hardware bill. Anyhow, Jesse, as well as Amy, went off very happily in the Brandon car with the minister's daughter. Mr. Brandon drove his own car and the girl sat in the back with Mrs. Brandon who did not seem by any means a very old lady, even if she was a grandmother. They rolled out of town, and just as they turned off the boulevard to take another road to Parkville, a big car passed the Brandon automobile coming into town. It was being driven very rapidly, but very skillfully, and the car was empty, save for the driver. "'What beautiful cars those French cars are,' Mrs. Brandon said. "'Did you see her, Jess?' cried Amy excitedly. "'Look at her go!' "'Do you speak of the car or the lady?' laughed Nell Stanley. "'She is no lady I'd have you know,' Amy rejoined scornfully. "'Didn't you know her when she passed, Jess?' "'I thought it was the car,' her friend admitted. Are you sure that was the woman who had the girl? One of them, declared Amy with confidence. And how she can drive. Naturally, Mrs. Brandon and Nell wished to know the particulars of the friend's adventure. But none of them knew who the strange woman was who drove the French car. She is not at all nice at any rate, Jessie said. I really wish there was some way of finding out about that girl. Parkville was reached within a short time. It was still early evening. The girls from Roselawn and their host and hostess found a number of neighbors already gathered in the dining room to listen to the entertainment's broadcast from several radio stations. They were too late for the bedtime story, but from the cabinet grand, like an expensive talking machine, the slurring notes of a jazz orchestra greeted their ears as plainly as though it were coming from a neighboring room instead of a broadcasting station many miles away. Amy confessed that it made her feet itch. She loved to dance. There was singing to follow a really good quartet. Then a humorist told some of his own funny stories, and a speaker recited a bit from Shakespeare effectively. The band played a popular air, and the amused audience began singing the song. It was fine. I'm just as excited as I can be, whispered Jesse to Nell and Amy. Isn't it better than our talking machine? Why? It is almost like hearing the real people right in the room. And an amplifier of this kind is not scratchy one bit. There is no static tonight, said Mr. Brandon, who overheard the enthusiastic girl, but it is not always so clear. Jesse and Amy were too excited over this new amusement to heed anything that suggested a fly in the ointment. When they drove home, they were so full of radio that they chattered like magpies. I would put up the aerials and get a set myself, Nell declared, only we don't really need any more talking machines of any kind at our house. Dear me, I sometimes wonder how the Reverend can write his sermons. There is so much noise and talk All the time. I have tacked felt all around his study door to try and make it soundproof. But when Bob comes in, he bangs the outer door until you are reminded of the Black Tom explosion. And Fred never comes downstairs except on his stomach and on the banisters and lands on the doormat like a load of brick out of a dump cart. Then Sally squeals so. She sighs. Nell Stanley, Amy said, certainly has her own troubles. I do not see how the doctor stands it, commented Mrs. Brandon sympathetically. The Reverend is the greatest man in the world, declared Nell with conviction. He is wonderful. He takes the most annoying things so calmly. Why, you remember when he went to Bridgetown a month ago to speak at the local Sunday school union? Something awfully funny happened. It would have floored any man but the Reverend. What happened? asked Amy. I bet it was a joke. Your father, Nell, always tells the most delightful stories. This isn't a story. It is so, chuckled Nell. But I suppose that was why they asked him to amuse and entertain the little folks at one session of the union father talked for 15 minutes, all about Jacob's ladder and those old stories, and not a kid of them went to sleep. He said he was proud to see them so wide awake, and when he was closing, he thought he would find out if they really had been attentive. So he said, and now, is there any little boy or any little girl who would like to ask me a question? And one boy called out say mister if the angels had wings why did they walk up and down Jacob's ladder mercy said mr. Brandon what could he say to that that is it you can't catch the Reverend laughed Nell proudly and nothing ever confuses him or puts him out he just said ah yes I see and now is there any little boy or any little girl who would like to answer that question? And he bowed and slipped out. The laughter over this incident brought them into Roselawn, where Jessie and Amy got out after thanking the kindly Brandons for the evening's pleasure. Nell lived a little further on and went on with Mr. and Mrs. Brandon. If I can find the time, called Nell Stanley as the car started again, I am coming over to see how you rig your aerials, Jessie. If I am allowed to, commented Jessie with a sudden fear that perhaps her father would find some objection to the new amusement. But this small fear was immediately dissipated when she ran in after bidding Amy goodnight. She found her father and mother both in the library. The package of radio books had been opened and Mr. and Mrs. Norwood were each reading interestedly one of the pamphlets Jessie had chosen at the bookshop. The three spent an hour discussing the new plaything as Mr. Norwood insisted upon calling it. But he agreed to everything his daughter wanted to do and even promised to buy Jessie a better receiving set than Brill, the hardware man, was carrying. As far as I can see, however, from what I read here, said Mr. Norwood, better set will make no difference in your plans for stringing the aerials. You and Amy can go right ahead. Oh, but Robert, said Mrs. Norwood, do you think the two girls can do that work? Why not? Of course Jessie and Amy can. If they need any help, they can ask. We are going to do it all ourselves, cried Jessie eagerly. This is going to be our own, oniest own radio. You'll see. We'll put the set upstairs in my room. Wouldn't you rather have it downstairs in the drawing room, for instance? Asked her mother. I know you, Mumsy. You'll be showing it off to all your friends, and pretty soon it will be the family radio instead of mine." Mr. Norwood laughed. I read here that the ordinary aerials will do very well for a small instrument or a large. It is suggested, too, that patents are pending that may make outside aerials unnecessary anyways. Don't you mind, Mumsy. If we find we want a nice big set for our drawing room, we'll have it, in spite of Jessie. And we'll use her aerials, too. The next day, Brill sent up the things Jessie had purchased, but the girls could not begin the actual stringing of the copper wires until the following morning. Ample study of the directions for the work printed in the books Jesse had selected made the chums confident that they knew just what to do. The windows of Jesse's room on the second floor of the Norwood house were not much more than 75 feet from the corner of an ornamental tower that housed the private electric plant belonging to the place. It was a tank tower and water and light had been furnished to the entire premises from this tower before the city plants had extended their service out Bonwit Boulevard and through Roselawn. Jesse's room had been the nursery when Jesse was little. It was now a lovely, comfortable apartment, decorated in pearl gray and pink, with willow furniture and cushions covered with lovely fabric, an open fireplace in which real logs could be burned in the winter, and pictures of the girl's own selection. Her books were here, and all her personal possessions, including tennis rackets, riding things, canoe paddle, and even a bag of golf sticks were arranged in Jessie's room. Out of it opened her bedroom and bath. It was a big room, too. And if the radio was successful, they could entertain 20 guests here if they wanted to. But of course, Father is getting a set with phones, not with an amplifier like the one out at Parkville, Jessie explained to her chum. If we want to use a horn afterward, we may. Now, Amy... Do you understand what there is to do? Sure, we've got to get out our work clothes. You know, those used in the school gardens two years ago. Oh, fine, I never would have thought of that, said Jessie. You are as lucid as usual, confessed her chum. Then she went on to explain. I have found enough rope in the barn for our purpose. New rope. We will attach the end of the aerial wires with the rope to the roof of the old tower. It will enable us to make the far end of the aerials higher than my window, you see? Necessary point, I observe. Go ahead, Miss Seymour. Please don't call me Miss Seymour, objected Jessie, frowning, for the poor thing has a wart on her nose. No use at all there, not even as a collar button, declared Amy. All right, you are not Miss Seymour. And come to think of it, I wonder if it was Miss Seymour I was thinking of last night when I thought that woman driving the car looked like someone I knew. Do you think, oh, that horrid woman? I don't dislike Miss Seymour, you know, Amy, even if she does teach English. I think she is almost handsome beside that motor car driver. Yes, I do. They were soon both too deeply interested in the radio to linger long on other matters. They laid out the work for the next morning, but did nothing practical toward erecting the wires and attendant parts that day. Amy came over immediately after breakfast dressed in her work clothes, which was, in truth, a very practical suit in which to work. The girls refused the help of the gardener. He said they would be unable to raise the heavy ladder to the tower window, and that was a fact. All right, said the practical Jessie. Then we won't use the ladder. My, I am not tall enough to reach the things up to you from the ground, Jess, drawled Amy. Silly, laughed her friend. I am going up there to the top window in the tower. I can stand on the windowsill and drive in the hook and hang the aerial from there. See, we've got it all fixed on the ground here. I'll haul it up with another rope. You stay down here and tie it on. You'll see. Well, don't fall, advised Amy. The ground is hard. It had been no easy matter for the two girls to construct their aerial. The wire persisted in getting twisted, and they had all they could do to keep it from kinking. Then, too, they wanted to fasten the porcelain insulators just right and had to consult one of the books several times. Then there came more trouble over the lead-in wire, which should have been soldered to the aerial, but was only twisted tight instead. The girls worked all afternoon. When one end of the aerial was attached properly to the tower, Amy ran in and upstairs to her chum's room and dropped a length of the rope from one of the windows. Jessie came down from her perch and attached the house end of the aerial to the rope. When Amy had the ladder hauled up and fastened to a hook, driven into the outside frame of Jessie's window, the antenna was complete. At that, and it sounds easy, but isn't, they got it twisted and had to lower the house end of the aerial again. While they were thus engaged, a taxicab stopped out in front. Amy, leaning from her chum's window, almost fell out in her sudden excitement. Oh, Jess, they've come, she shouted. What do you mean? demanded Jessie. We were not expecting anyone, were we? You weren't, but I was. I forgot to tell you, cried Amy. They just went around Long Island and came up the East River and got a mooring at the Yacht Club off City Island. Who are we talking about? Gasped her chum, wondering. Derry? Derry? Said Jess with mixed emotions. She glanced down at her overalls. She was old enough to want to look her best when Darrington Drew was on the scene. Derry? She murmured again. Yes, and bird awling. They telephoned early this morning. But I forgot, here they come, Jess. Jessie Norwood turned rather slowly to look. She felt a strong urge to run into the house and change. That is the end of this episode. Good night. Sleep tight.